and welcome to Entmoot, the Battle Games in Middle-Earth podcast all about the Middle-Earth strategy battle game from Games Workshop. I'm Harry and this is episode 31 and this is going to be basically a continuation of the kind of lockdown editions of the podcast. Uh, I, I know some people will say you know that these have less re-listenability but to be honest at the moment they're going to get enough listens while we're all painting uh, extra time spent painting and extra time uh, not being able to do anything else so I'm, I'm hoping that these are providing some good hobby entertainment for you in these dark and troubling times. Uh, trying to keep it more regular as well I've got a few more ideas uh, hopefully to keep us afloat until uh, the UK's lockdown uh, in winter 2021 um, uh, ends finally. But uh, today we've got a great uh, episode actually. I'm I'm really excited about this one because um, I've kind of been reluctant over the last year nearly uh, over the last year to kind of do lockdown gaming and I know lots of other people have tried it and people have been sort of mentioning time and time again to me oh have you tried this have you tried that have you tried these things to try and keep your hobby fires burning during the course of this strange lockdown period Um, and and I've kind of been I don't know I don't know why I've been a little bit reluctant to give them a go but I thought today finally I'm going to try them out we're going to deliver a review of the best way to play SBG during lockdown so or or even in normal times the best way to play SBG with someone who you can't meet so say you, you've got a friend at the opposite end of the country or or in another state or, or whatever it is uh, wherever your situation is and um, I just thought this would be a great way of seeing what the best way of playing that strategy battle game that we so love is. And that's what we're going to do throughout the episode. I've got a few people who I'm speaking to throughout the end of the podcast. Um, So this is kind of almost a return to uh, the the round robin style thing that I usually do at tournaments where I talk to lots of different people and we get lots of different voices on which I love hearing from loads of different people uh, it's just great to have different voices different opinions on the game and hopefully some familiar voices but also some new ones as well there's some some great ones uh, later on in the podcast and of course we'll be talking about some of the different ways of doing it um, and that involves first of all a tabletop simulator which you've probably heard of uh, just a way of playing the game um, that's kind of like a board game on the internet on a, a computer program which um, costs about 15 quid uh, it might be a bit more or less depending on uh, if there's a sale or not um, but that has been one of the ones that a lot of people have, have taken to and, and I must say it's not not bad but we'll find out more detail about that later I'll be talking to Sam Hoodie who has uh, been on the podcast before I've met him at many tournaments and played him uh, many times he's a great lad and um, also to Tim uh, from my local area so he's only down the road but we still have to play in lockdown so we'll have a chat with him as well and we've got some fun scenarios and uh, thematic matchups uh, that we've based uh, w- that we've used to play that game uh, that tabletop simulator uh, also we'll be playing a scenario um, from the Gondor at War book one of the Black Gate scenarios and um, over the internet via a webcam so this is the other option this kind of uh, I guess the cheaper option um, unless you don't have the miniatures of course um, which means you can literally one person has the camera and the miniatures and the other person and is kind of telling them what to do which I think probably works better for scenarios so we'll be talking to Russell uh, who's one of my patron supporters um, and playing him later on and we'll be talking through that and how it goes uh, later on in the podcast and um, also we'll be talking through uh, basically playing with yourself yeah that's right Uh, I'll be talking to a guy about how he spent a weekend 
playing with himself. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Tom John uh, later on, and I, I've spoken to him. I sort of spotted this thing in the uh, Great British Hobbit League Facebook page uh, a few days ago of him uh, talking about how he's how he's arranged to play the game with himself and how he tests himself and improves his own skills just by uh, you basically moving the guys around the board, making setting up things and setting up tournaments and and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, like I say, tournaments, which is a little bit different. Uh, so he's he's set up his own round robin, which is really interesting so uh, stick around for that as well uh, so lots to come on the podcast I already mentioned um, Russell the patron supporter if you want to support the podcast um, get in, uh, get into the patron it's, it's good fun you get early access to some things like podcasts and videos and, and also giveaways and things I've sent out lots of dice um, which are Entmoot branded um, they've got a Boorah rum on the 6 um, and uh, there, there are some that have got the little Entmoot um, Ent uh, on the 6 as well so all very exciting um, if you want to join in on that get in, get on the old Patreon uh, www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash battle games in Middle Earth all very straightforward and no dashes or anything like that so uh, yeah get in on that that'd be great and also you get a sneak preview at something big I'm going to be doing in the next few weeks uh, certainly by the end of January so stick around for that it's going to be it's going to be a bit of a challenge for this year, which is great. Okay, cool. Uh, so with that all in mind, let's get moving on to uh, building an army because um, although I'm using scenarios for some of the uh, things in the episode, it won't be just scenarios. So let's crack on and build an army. Yes, and this time we're building an army of the East. So, uh, with all the excitement about Easterling teasers uh, that have been announced on the Warhammer community site, um, I'm certainly very much keen on getting my Easterling army finally up and ready. Um, and I actually have been building this army for about, oh god, um, I think I started it very early on in the lockdown, but it just got, I got sidetracked, got onto other projects, maybe because I just didn't have a, a tournament to take it to that uh, I got sort of. I guess, uh, yeah, I just lost lost impetus, which is rare for me, actually. I usually am able to finish off armies pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, I think I did a podcast about Easterlings. God, uh, it was would have been one of the first lockdown um, podcasts, so sometime in April last year, maybe only a few episodes ago. Um, but either way, I, I wanted to delve back into it and have a bash at another Easterling army. This time, it's for Tabletop Simulator, and um, I, I, I know that the, on Tabletop Simulator you can change the names of things now, um, but uh, before I wrote this list, I didn't realise you could change the names of uh, characters and therefore not represent uh, the Black Dragons and stuff, so I Essentially, the limit here for this army list is, um, it's a 600-point army, the limit here is that um, you can't have any pikes that aren't black dragons. So uh, that, that of course, is a big limit, because uh, it's expensive and there are a little bit more, more points and you're probably not going to be able to get as many guys in. But that's the limit, that's one the sort of artificial uh, limit that we put on this uh, this army list. So with that, with that in mind, let's crack on and start with Kamul on a fell beast. Um, I know some people sort of say he's too expensive and he's not got enough killing power and um, they may well be right I, I think he's a difficult one to use definitely I've, I've had a go with him a couple of times um, last year on a tabletop not in a, a, a competitive sense just in sort of friendly matches in, in my local area but um, 
Either way, I still think there's some there's there's a chance there that he can he can be good. I mean, he's got the potential for fight six if he uses the will to bump his uh, his fight value up. He's got the two attacks on the fell beast plus one for the charge. He's got the rend and the knockdowns and all this sort of thing. And crucially, he's got magic. He's got the ability to um, you know sort of negate other people's strikes and and all that sort of stuff, which I think is really valuable on on a easterling. So uh, here, the main thing I think is well, look, if I spend one will to bump myself up to fight six and then I can um, immobilize people a, a, a lot of people or, or transfix whatever why I don't know why they've got two names for them uh, transfix uh, people who are fight five for example and stop them from striking that's a big deal that is a big deal um, I know not lots of heroes are fight five but there are plenty that are so so there you go uh, I- I still get to find the kind of value out of him that I, I think there is in there. He's just a tricky guy to use. But either way, um, there's definitely potential. So he's 170 points. That's the downside. Uh, then I've got in his warband a full complement of 15 boys. And it's six warriors with shield, nine black dragons with pike and shield. So as I mentioned, uh, this is an expensive, expensive list. Uh, so nine guys there, 99 points, uh, black dragons. So that's... And they're, in, they're fight four, yes. They're defense six. So they're quite good. Courage four. Not amazing, but uh, strength three. And they've got pike. So, you know, they're not elite, elite troops, but they certainly shouldn't be sniffed at. And then there's no warriors with shields for 48 then we've got a dragon knight 80 points on a horse so yeah th- this guy is is good he he really is powerful and um, downside is is he's i don't fi- i feel like he should be fight six maybe that's just me but um i suppose i'm does fight six so anyway dragon knight uh, 80 points and with him i've just got six black dragons on uh, with pike um, and shield so 66 for them so again bear in mind that uh, limit that I've got and also the Dragonite has to have Black Dragons in his warband so that's where we've got more pikes um, so again another expensive warband the final warband is a bit of a hodgepodge I'll admit um, basically because I wanted to have a captain so I've put a captain mounted for 60 points uh, is that right 60 points yeah it must be uh, maybe I'm wrong uh, I might have tallied that up slightly wrong anyway captain 60 points and two cavalry two cataphracts and one cataphract with a banner and then i had enough points for 10 points to spare and i decided to just whack a guy in there with a bow shield and a pike and i'm not convinced you can use all of those at the same time but we'll give it a go anyway i know he's got a special rule that means he can use a shield and a pike but not necessarily a bow at the same time so either way um that's my 600 points as i say this is limited by the fact that I was uh, I was doing this on Tabletop Simulator and I didn't know exactly that you could change things and fiddle things around. And also, I'll be completely honest, it was a little bit of a rush job before I uh, played this game. So, with that in mind, um, we've got the Tabletop Simulator game against Sam in a few minutes' time. But get this, that won't be the only army that we're building throughout this podcast. Later on, we'll be playing another game of Tabletop Simulator with Tim... And I'm going to be building another army for it. Very exciting. This is crazy. I'm giving you so much uh, content that I'm giving you two army building segments. But before we go on to our first tabletop simulator game with Sam, we're going to have to delve into the riddles in the dark. Riddles in the dark. Yes, that's right. This is the section of the podcast where we basically play a clip from the movies, The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings films, and I ask you, who speaks next and what do they say? It's very straightforward, um, but it's not always 
particularly easy. Um, before we have a delve into the actual riddle for this week, it's also a time to catch up on some of the messages uh, you've been sending me on uh, various different outlets, including my email address, uh, which is entmootpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and also on the Facebook page if you just search for Entmoot Podcast or you can comment on the videos on um, uh, Battle Games in Middle Earth YouTube channel and ask me questions there as well they all end up to the same person so uh, I'm going to filter it all out for good content so uh, with that in mind um, uh, last week I was or last episode I was talking about um, sort of hobby challenges um, and I was also talking about Legendary Legions. I think someone sent me an email, and forgive me, I can't remember who uh, I should have prepared uh, a bit more in advance. So there are a couple of sort of chains of emails that uh, that have been uh, happening in response to the, the discu- discussion about whether Legendary Legions are good or not, um, uh, whether they're a good thing for the game, and also a bit about uh, challenging yourself for the new year. So with that in mind, uh, Sean's been in touch. Uh, thanks very much for getting in touch, Sean. First of all, on Legendary Legions, um, Sean's uh, sent us a bit of a screed, actually. Um, he says, I think Legendary Legions can be a good tool for army building, but not as they are currently within the whole army building system. I really dislike the current system of army lists and restrictions of green, yellow and red, as it basically caters to a very narrow view of theme as the rules writers see it. Something I really enjoyed about MESBG was people would take thematic armies without them needing to be OP, such as people taking the fellowship to tournaments like you've done in the past. What the current system doesn't allow for are the numerous what-if scenarios that people use to build armies around, and which I always found really enjoyable. As an example, Barnum and Butterbur is a convenient ally to numerous army lists on the grounds that he existed at the same time period as they did, and could have fought with them in numerous what-if scenarios during the War of the Ring. Cool, he says. On the other hand, we know Dane Ironfoot is alive during the War of the Ring, and the Iron Hill Dwarves, I think, should also be allowed to be taken as allies to many of the participants of the War of the Ring. Thematically, I'd say they were much more likely to march to war with my Minas Tirith army than Parliament, but I say let people decide their own theme. My solution is fairly simple. Make all armies convenient with each other. You can retain powerful army bonuses for mono-faction army lists for people who want to play pure armies, but uh, the what-if scenario... But the what-if people and competitive players have the freedom to build lists that they want without being too restricted. And Legendary Legions can then serve the purpose they're intended for. Cool, strong, cool slash strong army lists of specific moments from the books or movies. E.g. here's the battle for the five armies, Legendary Legion, or the Ravenhill Legion, etc, etc. Thanks very much, Sean. Now, you know what? I think this is uh, this is a really good point. Um... I think there's there's definitely a sort of growing sense that that legendary legions are getting there's a bit of a power creep, isn't there? Um, I, ultimately, that some of them are, seem particularly strong, and some of them almost they almost ruin not ruin, but uh, I don't know. I, they take over from certain army lists, don't they? So, for example, the Riders of Theoden um, pretty much means that the the Ro- standard Rohan army is almost never ever used. So, uh, especially uh, now, maybe you've got. I don't know, maybe you've got weird combinations with... I think... Oh, no, Son of Aeol, he's probably the only one... Um, uh, yeah, he's probably the only guy, Aeol the Young, who actually uses the normal army. And then, of course, that's restricted as well in certain ways, so it's sort of like a legendary legion that uh, grants um, special rules to its troops. Um, so, yeah, Sean, I, I really... I think I think you make some, make some really strong arguments there. Um, I, I don't think that we should have everything as convenient allies. Just for a game balance point of view, um, it would mean that that you would see at certainly at tournaments um competitive tournaments you'd see much more in the way of uh, of kind of shonky things which 
I, I, I think the problem here becomes, on the one hand, you, for example, Sean, you're, you're thinking about um, cool themes and cool ideas and, and thematic matchups and stuff. Not everyone thinks uh, of, of allies in that way. They think of trying to combine them to make filthy armies that aren't necessarily themed. I love the idea of people going, you know what, I've got Dane Ironfoot marching to uh, war with Minas Tirith and having a sort of uh, maybe building a display board or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, for, for me, I think the issue there is that, that you can't police why people um, create the allies. And so I suppose... In a way, the the the, the competitive players um, almost sort of ruin what if scenarios for people. Um, but hey, I don't mind. It's a game. It's a competitive game as well, and I enjoy the competitive elements of it as well. So um, I, I enjoy the list building, and I enjoy trying to find the the best combinations that I can or, or that fit with my theme. So yeah, I, I I think I think there's balance. There's it's a we're a big church, we're a broad church. So um, I'm I'm quite happy with either. But yeah, I do sort of agree that the main army lists are a little bit redundant at the moment um, if you want to play competitively because you will just often in most instances just take a take a legendary legion um, okay well great comments I really enjoyed that uh, let's have a look at some others I've got uh, another one um, from someone who wants to remain um, nameless but uh, that's absolutely fine um Hi, hi, Harry. I'm a previous Lord of the Rings SBG collector, recently trying to get back into the game with some friends. We've watched many of your vids during the pandemic. Congratulations, mate. You're a nice painter and enthusiastic hobby hobbyist in general. I certainly am enthusiastic, if nothing else. Uh, it seems you're also a pretty competitive player. Well, I won't get that far, but may I ask you a couple of things about the game rules we're struggling with? It should be quite straightforward for a TO like you. For example... When the Watcher in the Water uses its uh, drag models into the shooting phase thing, uh, does it have to test for terror? Hmm. If it's the case. So, for example, you're facing some dead of Dunharrow and you drag them into combat. Does the Watcher in the Water have to test for that? That's really interesting. I've never even come across that idea before. Um, The Watcher isn't fearless, is it? If it isn't, then does it? Uh, Oh, that's tricky. I don't think you do because I think if you're you compelling things, um, you don't have to take a terror check if you're compelling it into, into combat with you because essentially it's charging you, even though you're making that happen. Um, although maybe it should. I don't know. That's an interesting question. Maybe somebody else can clarify it. But I like the idea. It's certainly a, certainly a cheeky way if you're facing the watcher in the water a lot and you've got dead of Dunharrow, um, then you making them uh, him pass the terror check is is probably in your favor i suppose uh interesting point interesting point and um, there's another one though uh, there's a, a second second one maybe maybe if you're listening at home you know the answer to the watcher in the water question get in touch podcast at gmail.com um the second one is we are a bit puzzled by the rule about line of sight in the videos we're used to seeing online and um, the rules state that you must see with your shooting model at least a small patch of a legit part of the target model i.e. no weapons or claws and wings and something like that. Sometimes in online battle reports, we see people targeting characters in the third rank without crouching every time in order to double-check who's able to see the target or not. They then go for the -the in-the-way test, but our point is that for sure, behind a couple of ranks, there would be some shooter model not be able to see a small part of the target. Is there some conventional rule on this to speed the game game up a little bit? I guess. Thank you. We will keep up following your channel. So, uh, in answer to that one, this is a, this is a good point actually. Um, this has actually come up in the podcast before, not so long ago, um, in the only tournament of uh, late 2020. Uh, listen back a few episodes to find out um, what happened there. Um, 
I think there is a conventional rule, and I think the convention is that largely you can see through multiple ranks of of people. Even I, I think the idea is that you have to you have to accept a bit of an abstraction here, in the sense that although some combinations of poses might mean that you can't see anything, we're actually seeing a, a moving real person, and you know they're not static they're not a static thing so you can see through uh, to an extent ranks i think that's the that's the way I, i've always sort of imagined it anyway um but I, I suppose if you really wanted to be very picky um then you could r- uh, rule that but it's worth saying if that's what you're going to do at the start of games because say for example you've got a horde army and you say to someone at the start of the game look uh, let's clarify this at the start if i hide um, a guy behind three ranks of my goblins or whatever um can you see them with a with a bow and just agree to it in advance um that's great because i have a feeling if you come to a a, a competitive game at a tournament and ask a tournament organizer uh, or the the referees or whatever um can you see through these three ranks i think certainly in the uk that um people will say yes you can you just take in the ways um but I don't know. In certainly in battle reports online, it will definitely be to speed the game up, and rather than crouching to check line of sight, things like that. Because in battle reports, it's not always competitive play. It's usually sort of more relaxed. It's usually more just to get a sense of the game and, and have a bit of fun. So uh, you won't see that in online reports, but you may well see it in um, uh, in competitive play and and people really getting a bit um, funny about uh, whether you can actually see uh, this because of the sort of the myriad of different arms and legs and things in the way so it's a really good question um, and thanks very much for getting in touch uh, as I say you wanted to remain nameless which is absolutely fine but um, interesting another another interesting co- uh, question to uh, throw out to the public there what would you do in that situation I know uh, we sort of touched on this before in the podcast but uh, I'm still intrigued uh, as to what how you would decide that um, if there's a guy hiding behind three ranks of models can you see them can you shoot at them get in touch at gmail.com or you can e- uh, send in a Facebook message as well finally before we get on to the riddles of the dark itself uh, let's have one more question from uh, um, forgive me if I butcher this it's Yell Van Mel Yell Van Mel Mel? something like that uh, it's J-E-L-L-E Van M-E-I-J-L so uh, excuse me for, for doing that um, right okay let's see just finished listening to a uh, latest episode uh, the proxy tournament's great very creative way to narrate a tournament and would love to hear more ah oh, well thanks Yell um, hopefully we'll do something like that as always I don't have a clue as to the riddle in the dark but I do have a hobby resolution so this is uh, moving on to the hobby resolution talk same as last year sadly as I resolved to get a podium place at a tournament but failed obviously since I couldn't attend a single one but hey at least now I can blame the pandemic instead of my myself that's good uh, also included is getting um, full painting points for said tournament so I better go back to the paint bushes and paint up some Numenor for some undefined reason I'm in the mood hmm. ah yeah I hope, hope you've been inspired by my Numenor painting tutorial um, on YouTube um, yeah no I, I think that's good good shout um, uh, I should probably try and do more uh, creative narrative uh, narrative tournaments um, and the hobby resolution great one try and get a podium place I think I should try and do that I don't think it's going to happen but I should at least give it a go but then maybe i'd sacrifice um sacrifice the fun i have sometimes by taking it too seriously and getting a bit too into it so who knows who knows but yeah i agree that definitely paint some guys there's no excuse there there's no excuse thanks very much Yell, for getting in touch though um and we've got another hobby resolution from rob conroy may uh, this is this is a, a gaelic name of some sort rob conroy may 
Mayoc, M A I G H E O C, E O C, Mayoc or something like that. I think it is. Uh, anyway, uh, apologies, Rob. Thanks very much for getting in touch. Hi, Harry. Uh, loving the podcast as always. I keep meaning to email, but forgetting to. Oh, you do have a riddle in the dark answer. Great, I'll get to that in a second. As for my hobby resolutions, my first one is to be more consistent with publishing articles on my hobby blog, Over the Edge of the Wild. Uh, At times during 2020, I've suffered from the same issues as you in that a lot of my content was driven by tournaments, so I dried up when tournaments stopped. Yeah, uh, I failed that. Secondly, I'm going to attempt to complete as much of hobby bingo as I can, and to that end, I've just started into 600 points of Kazadum Dwarves. There you go. Oh, here we go. Regards, Rob Conroy Mayock. The last part is pronounced something like my oak, although I've heard many variations of it. So you, if you can get somewhere close, it's grand. My oak. Well, I, th- I said Mayock, so that's what I said originally. My oak, though. All right, Rob, thanks very much for getting in touch, and I'll get your riddles in the dark answer first. I guess it's time to remind ourselves first of what that riddle actually sounded like last week. Yes, there you go. That's what it sounded like. So who speaks next? And what do they say? Okay, so let's uh, let's go back to Rob because um, he's got a guess. I'm not sure on the riddle of the dark, but if I had to guess, I'd say it's the scene where Frodo, Sam, Smee- and Smeagol see the black gate, and Sam says, "Look, Mister Frodo, the gates are opening." It's probably wrong, though. He says, "Rob." Hmm. Okay, let's uh, let's try another one. Let's try another one. Uh, Sean says, "Is it Samwise? Look, the orcs. They're moving off." Hmm, maybe, maybe. Uh, and we've also got one from Reiner as well. Reiner says, uh, oh, he's got a question. Oh, he's got a hobby resolution as well. Uh, well I should have done that earlier. He says, and the riddle, actual riddle in the dark, no idea. I'm thinking it's the scene where the hobbits and Smeagol are watching the gates of Mordor and then Sam falls down. Can't remember what's said next. Maybe Smeagol? Anyway, and keep up the good work. I really enjoy everything you do. I'll just quickly do his hobby resolution. My New Year's hobby resolution is to paint more models than I buy. Yeah, good idea. Uh, clear that backlog. Last year, I managed 19 more painted than I bought, and this year, the target number is 50. Luckily, I wasn't able to finish my Goblin Town army entirely last year and still have around 50 primed warriors ready and waiting. Yes, that's a great way of doing it. Just paint loads and loads of Goblin Town, at that, and then you can smash that uh, uh, ratio, painting to non-painted ratio. Luckily, I wasn't able to finish... Uh, sorry, another resolution is to complete the fantasy fellowship campaign I started with a friend of mine during Christmas holidays. The campaign and the whole book is actually actually is absolutely glorious. Fabulous. And also, he says, if a certain virus allows people to travel again, I'd really like to come to the UK to participate in any SBG tournament. But as it isn't looking too good at the moment, I won't make it an actual resolution. Well, you never know. The vaccine is being rolled out. So um, summer, who knows? Who knows? It could all could all suddenly be OK again. I, I hope we, we'll find out. Anyway, so he said... Was it Sam? Uh, he Well, actually said uh, Smeagol, didn't he? Uh, Sean said it might be Sam. Look, the orcs are moving off. And Rob said it might be... Um, yeah, he says it's Sam. Look, Mr Frodo, the gates are opening. I'm probably wrong, though. Are you right? Look, the orcs. They're moving off. You see, Mr Frodo... Some luck at last. Oh, very close. Uh, Reiner and Rob, wrong scene, but the right right people who are there, at the very least. Whereas Sean, absolutely bang on with Samwise saying, 
look, the orcs, they're moving off. And that's, of course, um, when they're on the uh, just sliding down the hills after uh, the Kirith Ungle in the extended edition with their orky armour on and they're, uh, they're seeing the orcs moving off. Uh, anyway, so there you go. That's the answer to episode 30's Riddle in the Dark. What about episode 31's Riddle? Ooh, lots of sound effects for you to get your teeth into there. But who speaks next? And what do they say? Let's have another listen. Ooh, okay, one more time, one more time. Right, that's it. That's all you're getting. So get in touch, entmootpodcast at gmail.com. That's entmootpodcast at gmail.com. If you think you know who speaks next and what they say. And of course, while you're at it, why not respond to any manner of the different conversations we've been having in this sort of uh, bit of a smorgasbord, bit of a mess of a a segment, to be fair, this time. Uh, Hopefully it'll be more concise next time. But yeah, absolutely. Get in touch with all your queries, your rule queries, your your questions about the game, if you're new to the game, uh, and generally uh, chatter about all sorts of different things, including your hobby resolutions, what you're aiming to do more of this year, and also we did have that chat about Legendary Legion, so why not throw your two penneth in to that debate as well. So, with that in mind, let's get back to the battle at hand, I suppose. So, uh, we talked earlier about uh, my army list, my Eastillings army list with Kamul, a Dragon Knight, a Captain, uh, a load of uh, Black Dragons with Pikes and so on and so forth. And um, and we said that we'd be testing them out on the battlefield, on a virtual battlefield on Tabletop Simulator. So, with that in mind, let's go on an adventure and test out some of the different m- ways in which we can play SBG in these tricky times, starting with Tabletop Simulator and my good friend Sam Hoodie. Okay, so we're here, we're in our own respective rooms, and I'm joined by Sam Hoodie. Uh, greetings, it's been a while since we chatted properly, Sam. Well. Probably about three seconds now, but you know. <laughs> You're ruining the illusion. Uh, people think that I'm just transporting straight to the tournament or or the game, but uh, you've just you've just you've just destroyed the illusion there. Did it all wrong. Yeah, well, well, Sam. I mean, it, it, we, I've, we've spoken a number of times on the podcast, and I've, we've played a number of times in the flesh. Uh, some some memorable games include Sauron, um, uh, sort of ha- having a having a good good go. At, uh, I think it was. Uh, capture and control or one similar to that but i ended up trying to table you in the end another one with my with my minas tirith guys and uh, uh the dal amroth guys against you so i mean we've had some great games in the, uh, in our time yeah it's got equally painting each other one way or the other yes exactly and uh, a good one i used a kamul uh sorry i managed to uh, ruffle stomp a kamul of yours uh it was doubles with michael and you were with tom weren't you tom hawker and um yeah, we had a good go against your Kamul, so now maybe today is the day you get revenge. Can I just say here, this that was entirely Tom's fault. Just that will really <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, well so just give us it, because I've never played Tabletop Simulator um, in any in-depth fashion before. Um, for, for those who haven't heard of it, what is it and how does it work? It's basically like the equivalent of playing like your bog sound game with SPG, but you do it entirely via the internet. Uh, it's got it works more or less the same way. Like obviously, like being a computer, you have to work your way around it. It's probably not best for competitive games. I was saying to you a few minutes ago, but 
like um, for scenarios, friendly games where everyone's very chilled out about it, no one's going to overthink things. I think it's just the best thing you can do. The minutes watch, we're not allowed to meet up and do everything properly. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, I, the fiddliness of it. Some, I guess, has been a, a little bit of a worry for me. I, I did wonder whether it's going to be a bit too irritating. Um, that you know, especially in a game that's so reliant on the finesse movements those those really uh, um finesse movements but yeah like you say for a friendly game it it it's, it doesn't really matter does it well to give you an example like um, like i've been doing the fancy photo blog like on our ehc one um thing is like um, looks the east or something um yeah i've managed to get through the entire campaign like with me and cj so far will pointer isn't far behind and there's several others working their way through it. it's like either in person when they can but yeah, it's got, we've managed to get that far, like um, just by you know relaxing on certain things, letting certain things go. Yeah, so it is a way of getting around it and scratching. The exactly, itch let's time. scratch the itch. So, um, just just before we get into the game, um, people already know what my army is. Um, what what's your army? Uh, what what are you taking to this uh, this this battlefield? I suppose. Well, it's got, uh, for the last year, I've been really really itching to try and bring this army, but. Because there's no no tournaments, there's been no drives get painted uh, since I can't do anything with it for a minute. But I've gone for the uh, Army of Thrall. You know, it's drawn completely blank there. It's been too. Army of Thrall. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was torn between whether do I go for Thrall and Thrain or do I go for the uh, young versions of Thrall's company, uh, Thorin, Dwarling, Varlin. Uh, in the end, it, was, it just came down to a dice roll and. I got Thorin, Dwalin, Barling, and I realised how disappointed I felt. So I wanted Thorin, Thrain, so that didn't make the decision for me. Ah, uh, yes, the old—that's that—that's a good old trick of flipping a coin to decide what sort of food you want or whatever, or what film you want to watch or anything like that. And then when you you realised uh, you dislike the the result, you know what you truly wanted, which is always good. Yeah. Okay, so you've got you've got Thorin, uh, sorry, not Thorin. You've got Thor and Thrain, uh, and what what else have you got in the army? Uh, in Thor's warband, I have uh, sixteen Guardians of the King, which is the Grim Hammers with the Strength Four bonus. Oh yeah, very nice. One cheeky Erebor warrior with a shield, just because of points. Yeah. Uh, Thrain has fifteen warriors of Erebor, which have ten spears, four shields, and a cheap little banner thrown in. So nice and simple, just basically run straight up in your face, attack you, try to, try to kill it off as quickly as I can. Uh, have plenty of spears to back up the Grim Hammers who have got these lovely strength forwards, defence 7. And we've got Thor and Thrain leading as a nice big combo. Uh, Thor has got his defence 9, so he's very tough to kill. Your Felbeast could be a way of making like, mince meat of that, we'll see. But Thrain's just there to mince through troops, I think. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, I, I wonder whether the the uh, the Felbeast will make mincemeat of Thrall. I mean, he's got the he's got that special um, fate save, and like you say, defense nine. I mean, I suppose like you say, a rend might might not uh, might deal some damage instead. But still, there's a lot. And and how many models did you have in total? Because I've obviously got a very low number, uh, cons- uh, and also low uh, low low fight and all that sort of stuff. So including the heroes, I've got. Uh... 18 in Thor's Warband and 16 in Thrain's Mag, grand total of 34. Uh, we've got, as for um, Thor's special rule involving the Arkenstone, about 3 plus fate save on a 4 plus, he keeps it forever, essentially. Yeah, Just remember, exactly. you play. I'm going to roll two on the very first one, now we gone. Interesting. Okay, so uh, so you've got, uh, sorry, I, I'm just noting it down. How, did you, how many models did you say in Thor? 34. 
34. So you've got six more models than me. Interesting. Right, mm. Sam, let's get cracking and try out this tabletop simulator nonsense. Good luck, mate. Cheers. Thank you. So, Sam, uh, it's it's been a decisive victory to the forces of uh, Thraw and his his boys. So, uh, just well, first of all, just give us a summary. How, how did you how did you find the system? First of all, is is it is it okay on a match play? Because I know you've been playing uh, tabletop simulator a lot for scenarios, but does it does it work for a competitive game? Do you think? As I said earlier, not not really for like the competitive competitive games where every like millimeter is going to make the world difference. But like as you saw in our game, like we had like a few issues of like the house scenery, and that's where you, if you went within an inch, like it knocks someone flying, and then they go flipping over. Uh, we just kind of made these little allowances for each other, like and had like little understandings and little handshakes and that, and managed to make it work. So you can make it work in that friendly regard. But it, like if you're holding a set tournament where people are going to be wanting to make everything count, you can see how it could be an issue here and there with it, can you? Exactly. Yeah, it, it's the it's that kind of impossibility occasionally that you just simply can't do it right, um, no matter how hard you try because of the, the the physics of the game. But having said that. I do think that it worked well. I think the the major flaws in the game are actually uh, in, in terms of me and, and my lack of lack of ability to play the game anymore. Um, uh, certainly after a year, I, I feel like I was incredibly rusty. My tactics were all over the place, and um, so it, it was good. So I mean, let's just sort of. Uh, um, delve into what happened because I'm looking at the board now and we've got like uh, lots of houses there's a sort of a, a village in the middle we rolled for lords of battle so we're, we're setting up at the middle and you started pretty powerfully uh, with a strong move with um, Thraw and a load of Grimhammers right at the front um, and left me with it basically a a tricky decision for where to put my guys because there were two houses on the opposing side of the field that I had to cram my guys into and um, so it's dividing up my my setup so I mean I think actually you you being able to deploy first worked well in your favor there uh, to a degree I made that little mistake of deploying near that house so you, you could see like I've been deploy all my um, spears from frames wall and behind thraws grim hammers which is what my intention was mm. and I realized that I've made that mistake so I called that heroic move with Thraw in the first turn so I could correct it, which is, you know, a spendy of unnecessary might, which I'm sure I'd be castrated for if we were, like, in the, like a year ago, like, when we were all going to tournaments regularly and everyone was, like, you know, keen for these like, details and intention. You make a good point, but I still think that it might have been the right place to deploy because it meant that my force had to divide up over quite a large bit of terrain. Maybe uh, I, I don't know how it's actually. I can measure it, can't I? Because we've got the special little yeah. um, little things. There's, there's this big house that's just over six six or so inches long, um, and then on the uh, then there's a gap between it, which was about eight eight, eight inches, and then. Another one that's about a house about five five inches long. So so there's a very small gap in the middle there for me to deploy. And even then, there's got like a couple of inches of of uh, barricades of like a uh, uh, hay bales, yeah. aren't they? So I actually only had six inches to deploy along, and you pu- forced me into that gap because of where you deployed. Yes, you had to do a heroic move to push your guys forward to get the spears behind them, but. Because because I had to divide my line so much, it, it meant that I, I kind of had to try and split your army up to uh, just to be able to make it work, I think. And I did manage that. I did manage to split your army up. But 
I think your army works better when split up than my army because I really needed the might with Kamul um, I, so I can um, call moves and get Kamul to do the charge which he, he failed to get because uh, a few turns in a row you just had more might than me and then and priority went your way a couple of times um, and then the other half the Dragon Knight and the, the Captain uh, and his hodgepodge boar band um, just struggled to, to be able to do enough damage uh, to what was left of um, Thrall and his guys to actually survive and looking at it now i mean it's it played on well past the uh uh well we did actually i think i only broke and then you just killed 10 guys in that turn so um we did play only the last turn but either way it was it was pretty brutal the last couple of turns but i think it all f- comes ultimately down to you had some great deployment and and you played it really well up from that very first turn even that as you say that heroic move i think that did all the work that you needed to do and from there on you were pretty much in the commanding position well, it's got, you've got to remember that so I've like, been playing these scenarios and that for the last year, so like I've been not, not necessarily playing points matches, but I've had like my fingers in that, so it's like kept me mm. fairly fresh in that. If like I, I assume you haven't been playing very much. You mentioned like you had a game recently with a local, but like um, yeah, it's got like because like you haven't been playing very often, like you just like all these things that used to be second nature to you, you just now have to actually think about, and like that takes your attention away from other things, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think I think if I if I looked at it again, because what, what I ended up doing was deploying um, most of my boys kind of behind uh, or in the middle of this terrain that we've been talking about, um, but but set fat set back a bit, and then sending Kamal and his guys around the right hand side flank to hopefully divide you up. But it didn't, it just didn't quite work. And I think if I'd looked at it again, I'd try and squeeze as much stuff as I can into that six inch gap because I've got pikes I mean I could have been um you know I'd have been three dice in uh, each combat with with re-rolls uh, with a banner uh, all in the center and uh, then then a Kamul and a dragon knight to, to jump in and go around the buildings or something like that I just didn't uh, I just didn't think really and like you say maybe it's maybe it's lack of practice maybe it's just being presented with a slightly unusual um set of uh, of terrain and and the, the, the everything else that you think about when you you're trying to deal with this but either way it was it was a really interesting start and then we had some cracking combats um throughout the game i mean um thrall and thrain against uh, sorry uh, thrall and thrain against kamul and the dragon knight they proved uh, tricky customers but the dwarves did come out on top early on we had thrain and thrall both cool heroic combats each trying to like make us start the guys before kamul could stop and do magic which is our main concern really um, Thrain, obviously, like um, you end up against three guys in his first combat, which I, I overlooked, but like he ended up only killing one anyway, so he got away with it, but it didn't make any difference in that respect. But then, like, it sort of seemed he warmed up a bit after that, and he started ha- quite happily hammering his way through, like, doing stuff right and centre. Much <laughs> um, well, Straw started by killing that one guy in front of him, and then jumped onto two pikes behind that, and then, like, you had your Dragon Knights, and, like, and like their goons basically all pounce on him. Um, you had your one cataphract jump over the hay bales and attack me, he gets surrounded and killed, and then my one guy like rolled a six on the only attempt to climb over to the hay bales and charge and drag the dragon knight off, like throw us back. It was like a mental, wasn't it, mate? Yeah, it, it was. That that combat was uh, one that I'd kind of teed up for a couple of turns. I'd been lining up, um, making sure that I had enough guys to get into the combat, and I was hoping that I'd be able to strike with a Dragon Knight and uh, you know win the combat. I had all the dice. I had loads of dice in that combat. And then you got a six to get take the Dragon Knight out of the combat, which scuppered things a little bit. Um, obviously, Thrall's so hard to kill. 
um, that there's no way that uh, I, I would have killed him uh, without without loads and loads of dice there. Um, and even then, I probably would have struggled. But still, uh, it was it was that was that was a little frustrating. The same sort of thing happening over uh, the other side where Thrain was surrounded a few times, but you you just you just rolled the sixes, which obviously it, uh, all you need to do really. Uh, one frustration for me, I suppose, was that um, maybe it was because I was playing him badly on I don't know, but I I, I used Kamul a few times, um, got some kills early on, but sadly um, because I lost the heroic move offs, um, he then never got to cast any magic. So Thrain kept um, calling the heroics and uh, being able to pin him down, or some hardy dwarf would charge into him and pin him down. I mean, he got a few kills, but certainly not worth his points in this game anyway. Yeah, it's quite like um, well, you obviously enraged Thrain when you killed Jarvis of Erebor. Yes, yes, you had the one boy um, who was uh, you, we named. <laughs> uh, yes, but also what was a big like um, a big help for keeping Thor alive? Like you might have got probably some cheeky wounds on him, like um, in that combat you absolutely surrounded him. But I remember he's actually got a shield, so I was able to get the six attacks to defend myself when yeah, you completely outnumbering me. I think that's right, yeah, because I, I charged a cataphract, um, the Dragon Knight, and about three or four pikes into him. Um, so I, I definitely had the dice to do some damage, but you, you made sure you got that six, um, even once the Dragon Knight ha- had lost. So I was probably rolling six or so dice. So I was thinking, yes, I've got this. Um, but Thor, you wisely shielded with him. And, and he, st- he he stood up and carried on. And, and actually, in this in this list, all he needed to do was survive because, um, you know, you weren't, you weren't going to give away the leader points. And... Um, the rest of the army was doing the killing for the Lords of Army, Lords of Battle, and slowly you whittled me down. And at one point it was fairly even, and I thought, oh, maybe I've got this. And then you just started creeping ahead as the as the sort of scales tipped in your favour in terms of the numbers. And then uh, my my Easterlings fell fell dramatically in that that last turn when they broke, and two guys rolled double ones um, uh, to run, and then uh, that that was kind of it. They all just died after that. But um, what what do you think to the list? I mean, obviously, um, I, it's not a competitive list, the one that I've built, mainly because I built it with full black dragons, just so that it's easy for the for the game. Um, but do, do you like the idea of having the captain and the two two dragon the dragon knight and the Kamul, or do you think it's too too pricey in terms of points? I personally myself tend to use Amder in my Easterlings, but that's mm. because I'm just don't make wise decisions with magic at all. When I have, I end up just either overreach with things and like put too much like will into what I'm trying to achieve, or not enough and end up flat fluffing the important things I need to do, like the important mobilize on a troll or something like that. So personally, I prefer Anders because I know what skill combat here is for the most part. Um, but on the other hand, having that four weeks around can be quite a frightening concept. Like I've got, I was doing my absolute best each turn to make sure I got the priorities so I could pin him down whilst Thrain did some damage and so I could get Thrain into the combat with him. And even yeah, and, and ultimately, because you've got the higher fight hero, you're, you're a little bit more willing to, to call the heroic move, um, risk it, because... I, you know I'm going to counter it, and that's that's one heroic strike that I can't do. Although I've got the will to spend for the uh, to bump it up to a six, you've you've got the advantage there, haven't you? Yeah, but on the other hand, um, also Kamal's got that ability, which I kind of forgot about for a bit, where like um, he can boost his fight value up to six, and then suddenly, actually, if he does roll at six in combat, and like he's managed to get the charge off the terrain, terrain's actually looking like he's in a bit of trouble, like he could mm. potentially be rendered and eaten in a single turn if I get unlucky. 
Yeah, that that is true, and I, I, that is exactly what I was hoping to happen, but it just just never quite happened. I don't think I won a combat against um, Thrain. I managed to get get a few boys, uh, dwarves eaten up, but um, only probably five or six. So you know, uh, sixty points worth of dwarves for one hundred and seventy points worth of camel, um, not quite uh, doing his job. Although he stalled um, Thrain for a few turns as well, stopped Thrain chopping up people with his axe uh, or with his big hammer. Um, it, it, yeah, it just wasn't quite delivering on on the promise of a. a of what you would hope for, I suppose, but but generally, Sam, I mean, you know, we, as you mentioned, you've played quite a few scenarios with um, with people in your area, and I've played one sort of practice game, really. Um, and I, I know we weren't competitive playing, but um, it, it, do you think this is this is good enough to uh, to replace uh, tabletop simulator? Now, now we've had another game with with you know two t- tournament regulars, I suppose. That's right. I don't. I don't think I'd let it replace the actual in, the actual physical game. No, oh, no, no. Like, it's never going to match up to the face-to-face experience. Yeah, when you're just playing tournaments, you have a laugh, go have a beer, laugh, drinks, and after like the game and that. But but um, as I said earlier, it's just the best way to scratch the itch. Was where like you know everyone's been kept apart and there's restrictions left, right, and centre. Um, as we saw, for the most part, the game plays. Like basically more or less the same. Like it's got besides like a bit of clunky scenery, it works obviously fine. In fact, some places, as I showed you early on, it can be better because like um, on your Easterlings, for example, if something doesn't work on the Hobbit models, I don't really know why. You can put those like um, one inch like bubbles around them, so you know exactly what their control zones are. Yeah, and yeah, there's that, and and you can measure here, measure distances quite accurately as well. And actually, there's there's a, there's a lot to be said for the fact that you can um, you can use your models um, that you don't even have normally. So you know this this Easterling army um, for me, I, I do have this pretty much. I don't have a captain mounted, but um, it was nice to be able to try out some some different combinations. And 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 I suppose anyone could try out any combination of any models, which is. Which is a, definitely a bonus because you can perhaps try out that army that you've, you know, you you, you may, maybe want to commit some money to but haven't decided to yet. All that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's got like you can try all sorts of like silly mixes that you like would never be able to collect in person, but mm. you just want to have a, like an, an attempt with it and just try out some random ideas. Like one idea I had years ago, which I thought was quite fun for a tournament because I just can't physically get the models for, unless I suppose I convert. Is like doing all army of an army of like um, Amder and just solid dragon knights. Just do like the order of the dragon or something. But obviously you can't get hold of like just dragon knights on their own, or you've got to spend forever converting models to make it. One means you could just throw it together quite easily and just have a try with it for a few games, couldn't you? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, all those sort of really expensive hero model armies that you could, yeah, you could build just loads and loads of loads and loads of cool stuff and and have a great time with it. Yeah, to a hundred percent. And and Sam, I mean, you know, we, we haven't mentioned the score. You you smashed me twelve nil. Um, no, not quite actually. It was quite like um. I got thirty-one wounds to your twelve, so actually I only got five on that, so it was ten. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, well, that, either way, that is that is quite a, quite a significant victory. So ten nil to you, um, and you, you know your heroes are left standing, and there's actually quite a lot of dwarves left standing. You're not broken, so it was a great game. I really enjoyed it. Um, I definitely need to uh, uh, spruce up and polish off my uh, my SBG skills before we return to, to proper tournaments, though. So, uh, Sam, thanks very much for talking to me. Oh, good, mate. See you later.
Sam Hoodie there, my first opponent on Tabletop Simulator uh, for a semi-competitive game at the very least, although of course limited by the fiddly nature of the game, but I definitely would recommend it. Um, and we'll talk more at Tabletop Simulator later on in the program. But if you want to, if you want to have a have a read up of of that battle report with some pictures as well of how it looked, um, head over to eastangliasbg.blogspot.com. Um, Sam's done a nice little write up, and there's a lot of great writing on there as well, actually loads of little battle reports and scenario reviews and things like that so have a dig around have a look eastangliasbg.blogspot.com so uh, enjoy that now I, i mentioned we'll come back to tabletop simulator later but we've got another method that I wanted to try, another way of playing SBG during lockdown times. So uh, without much further ado, let's introduce Russell Priest. Now, Russell is one of my patron supporters, so uh, he's he's supporting the podcast and uh, supporting the YouTube channel as well. And recently he got given some dice from being a patron supporter, some Entmoot dice that say Boo Rum and the Sixes. And um, so we decided we wanted to try them out. And he's been playing with his local area, uh, or so his friends anyway, um, over over webcam essentially he'll put the miniatures down on the table and uh, they sort of tell him what to do and in various different ways he's sort of been the dungeon master um on the uh, with like two people playing on one side two people on the other and he's been the the dm uh, as it were moving everything around as an independent adjudicator so um we thought we'd give it a go and uh, recreate something so without much further ado here's russell priest so this is the the left hill scenario from the Gondor at War book, um, purely because, as I said to you the, uh, earlier, that the um, the movie thing needs a four by four board, and this setup and my office doesn't really support massive boards. So essentially, um, I sat down with some some guys from my uh, normal club, and we went through and found all the scenarios that um, work on a two by two or less. So the reverse side of the board that you can see, well, you can see, um, is a Balin's tomb layout. Ah, okay. And and this is this is so just remind us, this is from Gondor at War, you said. So what, what page should people look to if they want to have a go? So it's sixty-four and sixty-five of Gondor at War. Okay, so and but generally, just the idea what of what, what we're actually gonna be doing. Obviously we're playing the the game over the internet, but uh, how's this going to actually work in practice? Um, am I moving the pieces? Are you moving the pieces? Um, just just paint a picture of what we can actually see and, and what we're going to be able to do f- throughout the course of the game. So essentially, in front of me, I've got a two-by-two two board um, with all of the models for the scenario. Um, and essentially, you're going to essentially play guard and I'm going to move everything and essentially play whichever side you don't want to play. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And, and I guess this is... The tricky thing about playing during lockdown, obviously, it's not going to be the same as as the real thing. But equally, the the tricky thing is about the get the game in particular is it's kind of so specifically about the minute placement of models and and things like that. How have you got around that in in the other games you've played? So in the so in the other games we've played um, like this, basically, I tend to um, to I guess GM the game. So essentially. Um, We've played most of the scenarios with roughly two players on good, two players on evil, and then I move everything because then it sort of removes the fact that I don't have an interest in whose turn it is or my own models getting advantageous mm. positions, which basically means I can kind of take account of who's got priority and who's moving and make the best moves that I can. 
Yeah, I mean, because it is always like I've, uh, we're going to hear from someone later on in the podcast who who's literally playing with themselves. Um, excuse the innuendo, but uh, I, and I've I've done that sort of thing before where you just sort of moved some guys around, but you, sometimes you unwittingly end up favouring one side, even though you you sort of you you try and be impartial. Is that easy to be impartial? Well, I'd say relatively, but I guess part of it is that we're playing playing scenarios from the book, playing. I guess a narrative scenario where I guess I, I, I have no vested interest in who wins. <laughs> yes, I suppose that's true. Yeah, uh, but it, it, has it been fun? Because I know you've you've played this, as you say, with with a few of your friends in the local area, and and you played a few games. Like, is it? Is, I know it's not going to replicate the game perfectly, but is it actually good fun? Have you had a good laugh with it? it it's been it's been a really good laugh. It's I, I guess the honest thing is that we've we've done three goes at it. I think. Um, and then the next one's already in the diary for, uh, I'll say this time next week, because then it doesn't date it. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, okay, Russell, um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have a go. Let, let's have a go. It's going to take a couple of hours, you mentioned before. So we're going to have a crack at the, the scenario, uh, the Blackgate scenario, and then we'll come back afterwards and have a chat, and, and I'll give some honest appraisals about whether I think this is the way to play SBG during lockdown. Great, I feel like I haven't rolled any dice in ages. Oh, three sixes straight away, straight out the back. So, Russell, we've finished the scenario. We've played the left hill of uh, the Black Gate, and uh, the good side have come out victorious, as per uh, the movies, which I suppose is is the way it's destined to be. It's a little bit unbalanced, I would say, although I probably would say that because I am I was the evil side this time. Yeah, I think the, the, the sheer volume of heroes that the good side have got is... I don't want to say insurmountable. I think if, if you manage to get us around in some way, it might go. But once the spread out, I don't think it's I think it's a, a difficult one. Yeah, I mean, you had, what, 30-something models? I had about 50. Um, but you've got, you know, uh, you've got Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Gandalf, um, Pippin, Beragond, uh, El- Elodin and Elrahir. So, you know, you've really got all the might, all the power and things like strikes and things like although you don't really need to strike against anything other than the troll. But, you know, you've got all the all the tools to, to heroic combat and just churn your way through those troops, which I guess is the aim of, aim of the scenario. In some ways, it's a little bit one note, I'd say, because you can just go, you know what, let's just, you're just churning through troops and there's not a lot of tactical decisions to be made. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but hey, it was it's good fun, good fun to play it. And um, in terms of the 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 way we've played it, so um, I, you know, during this podcast, we're we're talking about ways to play during lockdown, ways to play uh, virtually over over a long distance. And um, I, I know you and you, you mentioned before uh, we started playing that, that you really enjoyed, or you've certainly played a lot of games with your friends. Do you think this is the best way to play play SBG um, during these tricky times? I think for me, I'm. I've, I've, I've quite enjoyed it, and that's partially because it uses real models and real dice on the table. And I guess, I mean, you, maybe you can answer this better than I can, but because I guess I've had the tactile moving of models part of the mm. part of the game, and I don't know how that translates across. But, yeah, it's um, I, I've enjoyed doing it, and I've quite enjoyed because it kind of works better for narrative because... I guess you're playing it for fun. You're not. It is not going to work on a competitive sort of 
pickup game kind of way, I guess. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you can't you can't be competitive. I, I mean, like you were, um, I was I was sort of um, saying, God, you've got got to get that trap, get that trap, and you were sort of uh, you know getting it right and, and filling it around. So you were doing the uh, uh, doing exactly what I, I asked for. Which so I suppose in in some ways you you could you could play a more uh, a balanced competitive game to an extent. But it, yeah, it's 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 definitely for um, for fun rather than anything else. As you say, it is nice to pick up the dice and um, roll the dice and everything like that. So that is quite fun. Um, but I, I think, yeah, maybe, maybe it is more fun for you um, than it is for, uh, for for the other side. Um, but not, yeah, but it was quite nice to, to be able to see it. I'd say the, the, the probably the downside of it is that... Um, You've, you've really struggled to see what models are which and um, maybe that's just your camera maybe it was it's always going to be like that to be honest um, just because you, you've got to set up a camera that covers the whole field and um, I think that's that's always going to be difficult for you to identify which models are which and, and who's who I, I was struggling to see which was the captains and which weren't and things like that and, and I think that will always make it a little bit um, stilted rather than um, you know the usual fun of the game I can 100% agree with that. I think it's been the one, it's perhaps been the one, the one thing that has been sort of most noticeable about it, which is why I think um, we tried it a bit towards the end where dialing another phone in and holding it sort of gives you that clarity of the picture. But I think it would definitely slow the game down if I tried to do the whole thing like that. And I think this, this scenario is the better part of 800 points aside. And whilst it's on a small table, it was going to take time. Yeah, I actually think the um, perhaps part part of the mistake um, is the scenario choice. As much as this one is great because it doesn't have any scenery, um, it would probably be better having a very few or lower model um, scenario that's maybe got uh, much more story based. You know, the the I, I'm just thinking some of the Quest of the Ringbearer ones where it's only a few models. Yes, there's more terrain that potentially gets in the way, but equally, it's it's a bit more. Um, yeah, it's a bit easier to identify who's going where and what's going, happening. Um, um, but either way, Russell, um, I'm, I'm really glad you invited me to do it. It's it's great fun. We had a, a good past a good couple of hours, had a good laugh, and um, yeah, I mean, yes, I've come out with uh, losing, but then you know what? It's it's fine because we were playing a scenario, and and I'll just blame it on the scenario being imbalanced. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Russell, and 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 also, what was great is that you you mentioned halfway through um, that you got your Entmoot dice. Um, patrons of the podcast supporters on uh, the uh, Patreon channel uh, got got the dice, and you got to roll them for the first time in anger. Uh, there were a fair few Entmoots that showed up, a few Bura rums on the six that uh, that showed up. Just when it mattered. <laughs> exactly. Well, Russell, thanks again for inviting me. It's been a pleasure to play the game. Cheers. Russell Priest there, one of my patron supporters. If you want to be in the patron club that get these special Entmoot dice, patreon.com slash battlegamesinmiddleearth. Uh, and just subscribe there, support the channel. It helps me with hosting. It helps me with getting gadgets and stuff to film and, and do all sorts of go- other gubbins on the channel. So I really appreciate everyone who does the support. And you get ex- exclusive access to a big special thing I'm doing this year. More on that later on in the podcast. But we've got more audio to get through. So... Um, next, we've got a new person that I've never encountered before, um, and th- this is quite an amusing uh, chat that I had uh, had with him. Uh, a guy called Tom, and honestly, I've never really tried to get an interview with someone who spent the weekend playing with themselves, but I thought, 
In this instance, it might be just about appropriate for the podcast. So without further ado, let's introduce Tom, who did exactly that uh, with SBG. He's tried out, because he can't find any games at the moment, he's tried out playing himself uh, a few times over the course of a weekend. But I started by asking him a little bit about his hobby history. From Hull, so just over the water from you, I think think you're Lincoln, aren't you? Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah so not too far away. Yeah, not too far. Um, so I got got into the game the, the way that, that quite a lot of... Uh, people my age did with the uh, the old magazines um <laughs> so so uh, issue number i think issue number four was the first one i got so i didn't quite get ahead of the curve um oh. and uh, and issue number four saw that in the yeah, the shops and, and and was hooked Which after one was that. that that was the urukai I was thinking. I was um, going to say it. I wish I'd said yeah. it because then, then you'd know I wasn't just lying. Yeah, the, the Urukai. Uh, yeah, I think I, I. I can't remember. I know I got the first one. I think, um, but I know I got some of them later, and I rejoined it and all this sort of stuff as well. So, um, yeah, it seemed to really convert a lot of people. So, um, that's brilliant. And w- what's happened to you since then? Have you? Because uh, I know lots of people sort of dip in and out of the hobby over years. Yeah, so yeah absolutely. Um, that, I, I went into the, uh, the the realms of 40k at uni. Um, mm-hmm. and then sort of with their uh, kind of life that, that all dropped off. But then, um, I sort of, uh, I ended up giving all my, my, uh, most of my stuff away to, to nephews and, and whatever, but then, um, decided sort of just to, just to start getting a few things to paint up. Um, you know, that, that age old lie, I'll just get a few things to paint up and display. And then it's, uh, it's, it's got, got a, uh, some would say out of control, but I'd say it's just just beginning. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, yeah. You, you say it's uh, exactly. You say it's just beginning. Uh, well, the, the girlfriends or wives or friends or family they say it's getting out of control. But like you say, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's just beginning. <laughs> and 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 what I mean, I, I don't know how when this all all's happened for you. How, how, did it start during lockdown? Was it before lockdown? Have you managed to play many games? Um, I. So I, I sort of I, I restarted kind of properly about a month before the new edition because um, I was I was loving the fact that that everything was dirt cheap on eBay um, and then the new edition uh, with with a Pelinor box came out and um, and suddenly it all all ramped up but um, that that's been a much more of a blessing than a curse because obviously the the community involvement's been amazing um, and it's all all built up so I've sort of start, started going to tournaments I've been to been to a couple and kind of starting to, to build up obviously this is uh situations hampered that but um yeah I've sort of decided to kind of take it more into to playing rather than just kind of more more for the painting side of things which is where I've, I've always kind of traditionally been fair enough and and in terms of you mentioned those tournaments which tournaments were those uh give them a shout out uh, so um the, the last one I went to was Battle of uh, by Warsaw uh, oh, yeah. which actually just today came out for the, the, the second one for, for tickets. Um, I'll, I'll plug that one, although I think it's already on waitlist. Um, very, very quick. People are very eager. Um, I've also been to uh, a couple of one-dayers, um, the names of which escaped me because it was uh, was a, a while ago. Uh, one yeah. one uh, Sheffield. Well, absolutely. Well, so so the reason I got you on onto the podcast um, is because it, this is a, a lockdown special. We're working out ways to play the game uh, during lockdown, uh, especially here in the UK at the moment. And um, I, I, I saw this comment on a Facebook group uh, on on the GBHL, and you'd put just a sort of a little, almost a tournament review up of of a, a few, a couple of days' activities. And basically, Tom, you've been playing with yourself. 
Uh, I have, yeah, and and I've even got a few games <laughs> of SPG in as well. <laughs> I teed you up for that one, did I? Um, <laughs> but this this was this is great. I, I saw this um, that you basic. I mean, I, you, you, we say we joke about it playing with ourselves. Um, I, I've I've played a couple of games of, of uh, SPG with just against myself before i filmed a couple for the channel for tutorials um for the youtube channel um and i know people have other people have done similar sorts of things but i've never heard anyone do a tournament by themselves and play with multiple different combatants with multiple different armies so what what did you do and well uh, what inspired it well i've um I've, i mean I've, I've only recently as i say i've only recently been sort of going to tournaments the last kind of year or so so before that I've I've never been of a level to play um, competitively um, and and tend to just play in my spare time. So I've played against sort of myself quite so, sort of solo battles um, for for a couple of years really since getting back into it. Um, so I've I've played quite a few games against myself, um, especially in preparation for a tournament. Um, I, I tend not to really play outside of a tournament against sort of live people. Um, so to to prepare and to kind of get to know an army, I tend to kind of test it out. Um, and I, I sort of just thought, well, actually, how how would this army do in a real tournament where, yes, you might you might have beaten that particular army and, and, and those kind of combinations, but if you win four and, and, and lose two, you may still actually come, you know, 16th or, or whatever. Would, would how, how well would it do? So I, I decided to just... See if I could run a, a round robin tournament, um, just four armies, um, and um, I, it, it was a lot, a lot more fun than I, than I was expecting. Really, I, I yeah, I, w- I was blown away by it. Um, like the, the the final game was um, was, was a real toss up for first, second, and third, and it was it was a nail biter, despite the fact that it was me playing against myself. Um, I, I had my money on Mordor and was desperate for them to win, even though they weren't even in the final. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so I mean, th- there's so many things to ask about this. Uh, f- first of all, um, uh, you say you were gunning for Mordor to win, so why didn't you just play the opposing army badly? I mean, I, I know that wouldn't be fair, but like, that's the the immediate thing I think when when I'm playing against myself or testing out an army myself. Like you say, you, you kind of have favourites, or you might want one to win or not. And how do you make that balanced, and how do you sort of do it fairly? I guess. Um, as as a general rule, I tend to gun for the underdog anyway, so they're always at an ad- disadvantage. Um, and especially, sort of, I mean, in in more recent times playing and 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 uh, like sort of with this tournament, it's tournament lists. So um, for for the previous tournament, I I, I took um, I took a, a Helm Hammerhand list at six hundred points. Cool. Um, and so I did quite a lot of practice games for that, and and my kind of idea is basically. If I'm playing against myself, I'm playing against an even opponent. So I kind of the the team that I'm not playing, the the enemy, so to speak, even though it's me controlling them, I give them the benefit of the doubt on things. So if it's kind of oh, would I spend that might to win the fight? Well, I'll I'll risk losing it, and then if it turns out you know I lose my horse and or die or whatever, I'll just undo it for the enemy team, um, and kind of giving them that little benefit of the doubt and kind of tweaking things a little bit and. And been been a li- a little bit kinder to to the enemy, kind of balances that, and and that way you kind of even though you're playing against yourself, you get to play against an opponent that's actually better than you, um, because they they tend to make the right decisions because they have obviously the benefit of hindsight. 
uh, which, which normal players don't have, but but better players tend to to be able to predict things better. Um, that that's a really really good philosophy, actually. I'm I'm really I, I'm almost already convinced because it, it, I can imagine it will make yeah make you a better player, won't it? Yeah, um, I I've definitely definitely come along. I think it it, it kind of it comes hand in hand with. Um, uh, I, I watch I watch quite a lot of um, you know the YouTube videos, um, mm. GBHL channel and uh, Zorpa's Open and, uh, and yourself um, to get well, other people's tactics. Um, definitely helps. There's the sort of bringing that in because because playing against yourself that there are. I, I'm quite a wait and see what how the other person reacts. I quite like a movement-based game, that, that kind of skirmish and, and wait to commit. So obviously if you're playing against yourself, you might, you know, you, you kind of subconsciously you, you're playing that kind of that kind of game. So there's there's an, ele- an an element of that kind of thing that's difficult to get around. But um but then I I, I can if if I'm if I'm testing an army I'll kind of list Taylor against myself. Um, and and that kind of thing, and and kind of test out different play styles as well. You know what what's what's playing super aggressive like, and um, the the options are, are endless really because you can uh, you can just keep keep playing, and every game's different. How do you trash talk against yourself? <laughs> I'm I'm a very gentlemanly player, and would never <laughs> never trash talk, um, except for for my my own models. Um, the, the number of times that Alfred has, has had a stern word when he's stolen all of Bard's might or uh, for, yeah and then any so, any number of, of bad dice rolls can can be frustrating but uh... so no comments about oh who who painted that your four year old child or something like that <laughs> none of that because then you're like you're 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 hurting your own feelings I suppose aren't you. <laughs> um, but uh, it is. I mean, this is this is fascinating. I must say, because um, the fact that you sort of saying, you know, it's a nail biter. I mean, just just quickly. I mean, I don't want to run through four army lists because I know you'd said a four round robin. But just to give us an idea, what what armies did you have in this mini tournament that you did? So my my personal favourite is Mordor. That that's uh, mm-hmm. Black Numenorians and Morannon spears uh, with a, a great beast um, of Gorgoth to to run over stuff. It's a big rhino. Um, nice. The Witch King on Fell Beast to sort of be, be that cool. secondary threat, uh, and then Gorbag, who's just awesome because he's fifty odd points and he can strike. He's, he's uh, the un- unsung hero of the list. And how many points is this this list? Seven hundred points. Seven hundred. Okay. Yeah. And then, from what I gather, you've also got uh, Rohan, Minas Tirith, and Survivors of Lake Town. Yeah. Um, so Rohan is just your standard um, riders of Theoden. Some royal guards, some guys on horses, basically just riding around. Um, mm-hmm. Lake, Lake Town, uh, survivors of Lake Town. That's uh, that's Gandalf and uh, and Bard with a captain, and then uh, Bard's parent of the year. So he <laughs> he brings his two children along just to prove how many innocent people he can kill in front of them. Um, so they're 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 tagging along um, as as is Alfred, and then there's just a load of cannon fodder with them. 
Yeah, I do always question Bard's choices. Bringing children along to war isn't necessarily the best choice, especially as two very young daughters. But, you know, yeah. uh, we, let, we, we let him get away with it because it, it makes him better. It does. And it is the most satisfying thing in the world when one of those kids gets a kill. That's, that is good. It, it takes a bit of setting up because they're on minus one to wound. But um, it is good. They got a lot more kills before I realised they were unarmed, I must say. Yes, um, it's it's a lot. Yeah, it, it's almost like a, a, when Fatty Bulger gets a kill, it's it's an eruption yeah. of cheers. Yeah, it's sort of it's the moral victory. Even if your whole army is is in smoke, um, if if one of those kids has got a has got a kill, then that's that's all good. Um, and 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 just into so the, these lists. Uh, so oh, the Minister of One, we didn't hear about that. that. Well, that that's that's Gandalf the White, just because I've never I've never really used him in a ministerial list. And I wanted to use him, and I got an Avenger bolt thrower for Christmas, and I really wanted to use that. And sort of the blinding light Avenger bolt thrower combo kind of uh, I stuck stuck on there on that. Um, and because Minas Tirith are quite good at being a foil, they're they're fairly hard to beat, but always can be beaten in my experience. I've never done very well with them, but they actually they did brilliant with Gandalf. Gandalf's an absolute monster. Um, with his two attacks and his strength five, he's he's scary. <laughs> I'm a convert what? to Gandalf now. Gandalf the White. Interesting. Who else is in the the Gan- that Gandalf list then? Have you got um, any big other big? Just pitches? just Ingold. Uh, oh, and Damrod, um, who okay. who single handedly held off a charging gambling for three turns and killed his horse and then killed him eventually. Unbelievable. Wow. That's that's the one of the best things about playing quite a few sort of games. Um, you know, in any setting, but at the moment, sort of, uh, they tend to be solo. Kind of, you can get quite a lot in. Um, so you get those, you know, the kind of real once in a blue moon events tend to happen a bit more frequently. Um, like Dan, Dan Rod today, well worth his points. Wow. Well, I mean, this 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 idea. I mean, obviously, you, you, I'd imagine in a, in a normal time, it, it does sound like you do play this sort of thing. But would you have come up with a, a solo tournament uh, and played against yourself um, a, a four round robin anyway? Um, if it wasn't for the situation we all find ourselves in, probably not. Um, it, it's it's definitely it's definitely come about from from having. I mean, having more time. Um, off, you know, not not being able to go anywhere and, and, and do anything, um, mm. sort of from a other than than essentials and, and work. Um, so having that more time to play more games in general, um, more more solo games, um, yeah, de- definitely, definitely um, do think it's it's come about from COVID. It's it's kind of um, it's seen it as glass half full, isn't it? It's not not um, obviously it's it's a shame that it, it's cancelled all the real tournaments, but it's uh, what what positives can we draw out of it? Absolutely. Well, I, I love that attitude and the ingenuity of doing it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think I'd have ever thought of uh, doing this myself. And, and as as you say, you know, a, a lot of us have probably put a few guys on the tabletop, maybe when we've just finished a new army and we haven't had a chance to do it yet, just to get a feel for how they move and do things like that. But but playing four games or, or a four round robin anyway uh, against against yourself, I don't think I'd have thought of. But I think I think it's it's a winner. And um, would you have you got any tips? For um, anyone listening who's thinking, actually, yeah, this could be quite fun. And what what sort of tips would you give people to how to actually do this in a smart way? Um, I think the the 
thing I I found most helpful was was kind of planning it out. So uh, just um, on my kind of record sheet that, that I've got, I've got I've got a, a um, like a notebook. So I planned out. It's like a it's like the wound table. Basically, you have the the two. Uh, well, your uh, your forearm is at the top and your forearm is down down the other side, and then you can uh, you can plot everything nice and easily, and then doing the allocations on who's going to play each round beforehand as well, and then um, then it's dead easy. You just uh, you you know what each game's going to be, and you can just crack on. And did you introduce any ra- elements of randomness other than the dice? Was it was it random scenarios, or did you know the scenarios in advance and plan that out? Um, so just using the the match play guide, um, you know the the eighteen scenarios that that expansion yeah. that's got the table in the front. So it's just roll roll a dice for uh, for which three you're going to play, roll a dice again, and then just not doing any repeats. So if you've done the first group, then even if uh, if I roll again on that group. Uh, then, then I wouldn't just just basically like a, a normal tournament really, um, and then I mean the the only other kind of element of randomness that the only other kind of tip would be um, the the humble dice basically if if there's mm. a situation where it's sort of what would an opponent do would they would they commit would they not fifty fifty it Gen- generally I, I know what I would do um, and and go with that but some sometimes. It's an impossible call, so it's sort of mm. up, up, up to the dice. Let them decide. Well, there you go. Uh, let the dice decide. And and thinking positively about the situation and, and creating something a little bit different. I, I love it. I love it, Tom. I, I think this is this is a really interesting idea. And and I wonder what people are, uh, will be thinking about it. I know um, uh, quite a lot of people commenting on the Facebook pay, post, sort of uh, intrigued at the very least. But I'm um, hopefully just listening to the uh, the way you've sold it. I, I think you really have sold it. And I love the idea. So, um, Tom, thank you very much for joining uh, joining me on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and hearing this slightly unusual idea about you playing with yourself. <laughs> yeah, thank you. What a great laugh uh, Tom and I had there. Uh, innuendos are plenty, but also really interesting hearing about his, his way of playing the game during lockdown uh, using just his armies and, and setting up a table and, and kind of actually experimenting with strategies and tactics and, and you heard there how he how he uh, played that to his advantage to to help him be better, become better at the game so really interesting and I can imagine uh, it might actually be useful for many people uh, just, just to work out um, little bits and bobs of how to play the game with themselves so um, really really interesting great laugh, uh, thanks to Tom for joining me on the podcast there um, so that's it, that's the three methods of uh, learning how to play the game and I think um, I'll be honest, as much as I enjoy playing with myself, I don't think that's the best way of uh, of playing SBG uh, during these tricky times. I think it will be useful, um, especially to try out some armies and things like that, um, and, and or especially if you're very new uh, to the game and don't have anyone that you know to play with. But I do think... The winner here for me has to be Tabletop Simulator. I've gotten quite into it. Um, I've I've enjoyed the game with Sam um, after the practice game with Sam and uh, Tim as well uh, before that. So I kind of have to have another go. And with that in mind, it's time to heretically build another army. Worthy of the 
Yes, it feels almost alien to do this uh, twice during the podcast, to play that jingle twice during the podcast. But, uh, you know, we've got to do it because we've got to build another army. Um, Essentially, Tim and I wanted to set up a game in which we uh, essentially recreated the moments before Isildur died. So Isildur has the ring at this point. Uh, He's sort of leading the army. He's wandering around uh, Middle-earth and he's attacked by orcs and um, drowns in the river. So uh, that's the army list. So I know that Tim's going to do lots of orcs and I have to do an Isildur themed army around that and we're doing 600 points so with that in mind my army is as follows Isildur with horse shield and the ring five warriors of Numenor with shield five warriors with spear and shield one warrior of Numenor with spear shield and banner two warriors of Numenor with bow that's his uh, almost a full warband with 13 boys there and pretty solid there's a lot of shields I mean defense five is a, a little bit of a a low defense but they're, they're, they're good value fight four strength four you know not bad not bad at all uh, and of course shields help um, with the holding of people up so it's all good it's all good second warband uh, we've got a captain of Numenor with horse lance heavy armor and shield so uh, just an absolute monster really um, it's a shame they're not strength five but then they would just be really really good um, captain Numenor Numenor fight five though strength four with a lance heavy armor and shield so pretty tough uh, on a horse captain you got the march all that sort of stuff so yeah not bad two attacks on the and with a third on the charge with a lance is pretty pretty decent really isn't it um then supporting him we got four warriors of Numenor with shield uh, three with spear and shield two with bow and one with just a spear um this is the great thing about tabletop simulator is that even though that model doesn't exist a spear with no shield you can do it on tabletop simulator excellent uh then ca- then we got warband three so that was 10 in that warband then warband three we've got eight guys uh, which include captain of Numenor with a horse lance heavy armor and shield because why not uh, three warriors of Numenor with shield two warriors of Numenor with spear shield two warriors with bow and one with a spear cutting it to exactly 600 points we've got two spears so they're the only and th- uh, what far four bows so we've got five models at a defense four which is a little bit of a we- no 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 sorry seven models with defense four um so you know uh, actually quite a lot uh, yeah, is, that, is that right yeah yeah it's two four four yeah, yeah five so um sort of that six or something um either way there's a fair few defense four which is a little concerning i guess i mean really they shouldn't be defense four should they i mean god look at the, the armor they've got anyway um defense five mostly but a lot of boys strength four we've got uh 34 models at 600 points which is pretty solid and we've got uh, a fair few bows so you know that that's not bad you've got six bows there that can you know just maybe irritate the opponents or whatever take out some horses or wags or whatever um and and we've got a big hitter we've got a sealed or a strength five really high defense guy with the ring uh with strike with you know he's he's a good hero so i wonder how it goes let's head over to the battlefield uh on the virtual website of tabletop simulator and have a chat with tim Tim, greetings. It's nice to have you back on Entmoot. Um, in these tricky times, at least we're we're able to play some kind of game. Um, and I, this this is something we've already had a quick go at. But just in summary, what do you think of Tabletop Simulator? Um, I have a love-hate relationship with Tabletop Simulator. Uh, I don't use it quite as much as I should to get the most out of it. And hence, I find it quite fiddly and potentially annoying but at least I get to play board games. I think it, it scratches that itch, doesn't it, ultimately, uh, of the, the desire to play a, play a game. And, and it's, I think it's pretty good, actually. In, in the two games that I've played, uh, one against you as a practice game and one against Sam, uh, just uh, we've just heard in the podcast, I think actually it does, it does do 
pretty much everything you'd want it to. Although, like you say, it's fiddly. Yeah, like everything, um, when you're trying to have something that I suppose has a, a lot of different applications and you're trying to please a lot of people, until you really use it an awful lot, it is quite fiddly and annoying. And like I say, I haven't got the best out of it yet because I simply haven't used it enough. But, you know, literally, you're just down the road from me. And the fact that we're having to simulate a table and spend half an hour building a board to play Little Toy Soldiers, uh, you know, you've got to put the effort in, don't you? Yeah, it feels odd, like you say, that we are literally a few minutes down the road. Um, but despite that, we're able to play with armies neither of us have ever used in the flesh, um, which is pretty exciting. So I, I've already given people a rundown of my Numenor uh, army and what uh, we're going to be sort of, um, well, we're recreating. But So give us an idea of what's in your army uh, list to try and kill Isildur and, and uh, play it out as the books intended. Well, uh, I have gone for maximum horde. I asked my resident uh, Lord of the Rings expert, my child, uh, what I should take. And he says I needed to take lots of orc archers. So altogether, I have 12 orc warriors with bows, uh, 24 orc warriors, all with two-handed weapons, because I thought, you know, what the heck. Uh, three, three mounted orc captains with bows i've taken uh, an orc drummer an orc shaman i've got a couple of orc warriors with banners and i've taken shelob as well just because um i wanted something big something i've not used before and i'm sure that at some point in the the past you know big monstrous spiders have roamed around in this sort of era so what the heck let's have a spider as well yeah i like the idea that, that we can add shelob in there because absolutely it's in the she's in the barador army list you can't have sauron because he's dead at this point so shelob just about fits the bill so with that in mind let's crack on with the actual game tim lovely okay so we've played a game on tabletop simulator tim um First of all, um, just before we go into the actual game itself, what do you think of the uh, having played another game and we sort of had a different kind of scenario, we had different scenery, we were playing to the death, and there was a big river running down the middle with lots of terrain. Do, is it fiddly um, still, even though uh, perhaps had less terrain on one side of the battlefield than the other? Yes, it is still fiddly. Not, It's more a kind of annoying fiddly, I think. Um, I was finding that when I was trying to move a group of people... But for some reason, it was sort of putting them all in a big clump and making them fall over. It did, but that didn't happen last time we played. I don't quite know what's changed. Yeah, I don't um, know whether it's something to do with the way that your hotkeys were or something. I, I don't know, but um, it, who, whoever knows, they, they definitely were annoyingly bunched together at times. But Yeah, we found out as well today, um, we did a lot of combat under and around some canopy of trees, uh, which was a little bit difficult to get. You know, have to keep changing our camera angles, trying to find out where things were. Um, so added a bit more interest with the terrain but at the same time uh not as practical as maybe just having a marker that was flat on the table that said tree <laughs> yes that's true so basically we got we played on a six a, a six by four in quotes um board and a river was down the sort of the, uh, the not the center the kind of third mark on one side and there was sort of trees all over that the side of the river and um i just thought sort of thought well i'll deploy a sealed door on the wrong side of the river to try and recreate the um the the moment that they, he gets caught and shot and s sails downstream and loses the ring and all that sort of stuff, um, 
and and those trees were annoying because they were just sort of getting in the way as you say and you kind of have to they, they weren't in the way in terms of moving the models but more just like you say it's just blocking line of sight for us which I don't know whether I've ever really had that issue on games I suppose you do occasionally have stuff that's hiding behind terrain but not very often but it does seem to happen a bit more in uh, in tabletop just because of the way you can zoom in and get really cool uh, cinematic looking shots but equally you uh, end up also d- obscuring things accidentally yeah, I think when we play in real life, there's there's always maybe a, a little bit less scenery than I would like. Whereas I think if we're going to be doing much more tabletop simulator, we're just going to have to either use a little bit less scenery than ideal or, or choose the scenery to, to fit better. So we used a, a hill today, which didn't really have quite as good, the edges of the hill didn't really interact with the models quite how you'd want it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe we'll use more fences and buildings rather than trees and hills next time. I That's don't. exactly what I was going to say. As much as I think this one actually looks really nice, um, and we've got the two fords on the river that were that were really awkward. Um, I think the yeah the, the trees the trees just block line of sight. So I would recommend if you are playing tabletop simulator to definitely use buildings and and sort of villages and maybe farm flat farmland for difficult terrain things like that 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 mean that that actually you, you can move things around you can see things relatively easy but you're still getting the the experience of all that which but generally I think it it, it does work and and this is only the second time a third time I've played this and and I, I, I'm I I'm really getting into it I think it's it's a really good second kind of second place for um for recreating games i reckon i think it there's there's a lot you can basically just play the game and i mean yes obviously it's some things you have to give the benefit of the doubt on when things get all wonky and all that sort of stuff but it's surprisingly accurate yeah um and in a way there are some advantages over tabletop so we're playing today where you can hover over any of my orcs and it's got all the stats there. There's it's actually quite a lot less book flicking to check stats and check whether people are equipped with different things. Everything has what you can see, and you can see the stats of your opponent. You can keep track of the might really easily. What, what I think we need to account for a little bit more is the fact that we should easily add another half hour to a game. So a game that would normally take two hours is going to take at least two and a half hours, I think, on tabletop sim, even with the you know with a bit of additional time for setting up a table on top. Yeah, that is true. The the, ta- the the setup just takes much longer because you're sort of um, you're fiddling around with things and you move, you're adding terrain and stuff. Where usually you just grab a box, dump some terrain on the table, and fiddle it into the right place, and then you've already written your army list. You've already got your toy soldiers. You just pull them out and put them on the table. Whereas this, there's a lot of cloning and all this sort of saved objects and and as you say, the the the, the other fiddly stuff of the camera angles just slows everything down that little bit more. Even just you know hovering around and moving over the right to the right side of the table to pick up the right number of dice and all that sort of stuff just takes that little bit of extra time but we've got better at that i mean we came tonight having our armies practically in a little bag to just get out and deploy rather than go oh i need to clone a few different bits and pieces um if we do a little bit of board setup in advance it's not going it's going to be we're going to be able to start to say eight o'clock and know we're going to be done by half past 10 rather than start at eight o'clock and know that by half past eight, we're still knocking the board over or putting trees and then having them mysteriously disappear. Um, yeah, the, the board knocking over thing, just to note, if you're putting a sort of gaming mat down on the uh, the, the tabletop simulator, make sure you lock it in place because you can accidentally move it and, and tip everything everywhere and have to reset the rewind time, essentially. Um, now, but, so... With that in mind, we've played the game. We've we've sort of had a bit of a chat about the actual uh, the, the the format of the game, I suppose. But 
the the actual game was really it was a bit of a nail biter. So I already mentioned that we've got a, a river sort of a third of the way along from the right hand side. I deployed a sealed door uh, on twelve inches on onto the right hand side of the river. Some boys on the river, um, one of the captain, I think the smaller captain warband on the river, and the other guys on the left, which was a terrible way of deploying, but it, uh, that was the the theme I chose to do. And your your guys all kind of deployed in a big ring. Um, I think I kind of. Uh, well, I think you deliberately, you, you again deliberately did this to to try and as a decoy to try and capture a seal door uh, on one side of the river, and it kind of worked because you drew me over rather than me crossing the bridge, uh, the um, the river, and and joining everyone together, which was the sensible thing to do. I was like, you know what, a seal door, he's impetuous, he's he thinks he's full of it, he thinks he's going to win, so he's going to go straight for the the smaller warband of people on the right hand side of the river, and and that eventually was his downfall, I suppose. Yeah, without too many sort of early spoilers, um, Isildur was was um, yeah, he was he was rubbish. Um, <laughs> when I saw him down the side on his own, I thought I'd put some orcs sort of opposite him um, with the orc drummer, and and I, I kind of very early on had a bit of a game plan, which is something I don't normally do. Um, I was going to use Shelob to push all your dudes in the water and try and make them drown. And then I was going to try and draw Isildur forward and then at the last minute run all my people across to the other side and just keep feeding him one or two rubbish orcs and and hope that in the game he did, you know, he he maybe killed three or four or five orcs while the rest of my chaps set to and chopped our Numenorians to pieces. That didn't quite work as planned. Well, it all kind of went slightly backwards, didn't it? Because Isildur did charge forward and he did kill, um, I think, about five six guys in the first two or three turns which was ace but then he bumped into a warg warg captain and um you know despite having the fight value advantage a few boys helping him i think i rolled something like eight dice and and didn't didn't end up winning the combat he ended up losing his horse a sealed or lost his horse and and he managed to survive but he just kept bumping up against this captain which again like you say just meant that your orcs could redeploy on the other side and get into places where it's good and um, so a sealed or had almost no impact on the game really he yes he took out six guys and and eventually helped captain but him and his whole war band of 15 people were on the wrong side of the river and weren't able to move across quickly enough only in the final turn did he get actually get a combat um but it and it didn't really do anything anyway so the rest of the game i was just very impressed by the the work of the the captains and the new numenorians themselves and um, it helped that you were rolling very poorly on um, most of your combat rolls and i was doing all right with my killing but the numenorians really held up they were shielding in the right places they were they had the right strength to just chop down your orcs uh, really easily but um, generally, I think I did a good job of moving them backwards away from your guys and, and trapping people when I could. So I, I was, even though I had fewer models on that side of the river, say, well, it must have been about, well, about half the army, so 15 or something like that, maybe a little bit more, um, against, say, 25 of your guys, uh, or maybe 30 of your guys, it seemed to mean most of the time I was, I just managed to pick, surround people in the right places because I think one of your warbands just took a bit too long to get into the centre. They they did, um, but that wasn't really the problem on 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 that side of the flank. <laughs> the problem was just the, I, I suppose, a little bit of naivety in my army choice. In that I saw the size of the board and the number of people I was going to be taking, and I thought, hey, I'll just give them all two-handed weapons because there'll be plenty of space to manoeuvre. Um, when in reality, there, there was hardly any space at all. 
I was in situations where if I'd have taken some spears as well, I'd be getting, you know, the dice I wouldn't be getting for two-handed penalties. But in the end, I was just so enthusiastic about going ham and chucking all these two two or three orcs with two-handed weapons into the Numenorian, spaffing the dice roll, then having the Numenorian turn around and poke one of my orcs. It was just like a recurring theme until I finally just ran out of orcs. They'd all, yeah. all, all run away. And then, crucially, when, when finally you broke... Um about six or seven of them ran in the in one quarter leaving um very few left in that that area and, and actually quartering you in the end but um the, yeah you're right i mean obviously having taking everyone with 200 weapons is a bad idea but also if you um i think because i um i man- i just deployed and i knew straight away i'm going to hide in those woods that's the only bit of terrain i've got i can use my uh, sort of smaller numbers and um, my higher fight value sorry but but smaller numbers um to my advantage because i had the higher fight value and i could kill stuff and just by maneuvering around those trees and this is a really good tip for for newer players i think is just using that terrain to your advantage using it as a almost an extra body where where you've got fewer people to fight you can block a space uh, you know a model's equivalent off so therefore your your orcs weren't being being able to bring their numbers to bear and surround me and and kill me as quickly as perhaps you'd hoped yeah i i did a little bit of sort of math hammer before i chose my dudes to see i appreciated that all my orcs were going to be lower fight value um and I kind of weighed up in my head what was going to be a more effective thing to do. And to me, it was take a lot of two-handed weapons because I was going to be losing a lot of fights. The ones I won, I wanted to be actually doing some damage. Because what I've, I've kind of done is, so when you look at a, a shield for a point and you think, well, it's going to raise your chap's defense, um, it does. But it also gives you the ability to shield, which is, you know, it's quite handy. Um, and And having gone really, you know, balls deep with two-handed weapons yeah I, I i took a lot of a third of my army with bows as i probably norm, normally would or warriors with bows it's they're just they were just rubbish um, well uh, I, and and also i don't think you got very many chances to shoot with them just again because i was hiding in terrain uh, early on the, the the small smattering of terrain i really took advantage of but you're right i mean uh, technically i suppose because you're strength three orcs um having the uh, against defense five you're winning me on fives so the only way to improve that is to make to make it falls, but you've got to win the combats, and that's crucial. Um, and if if you can't bring your dice to bear, then you're right, you, you're not going to win the combats, which is of course always going to uh, be to your detriment. So uh, yeah, I, th- I think that was a, that was a, a, a difficulty for you. So let, let's talk Shelob and some of the other heroes, because firstly, I think my captains of Numenor did outstandingly i was really happy with them and they did exactly what i wanted them to do they charged into people they killed them in the turns that they got the charge they they managed to take out your captain in the end um your leader captain that is and and uh, in the end that they i think they were the mvp i mean maybe isilda would have done better if he was on the right side of the river but um i think they did they did great work Um, and your captains weren't bad either really i'm i'm not sure when you we sit down and added up the, the the effectiveness, how I mean, yours were quite good skewering stuff on their lances, but I'm not entirely sure they were they were as effective as as maybe they seem when you look at it now. Uh, I would say, well, yeah, okay, I, okay, I see your point. Yeah, they, they didn't. They probably didn't get enough orcs to be uh, 100, 140 points worth of orcs but the, 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 they got the, the moves in the right places they, they helped hold things off uh, and delay you take the might out all, all that sort of stuff they got 
I, I think they did all they needed to do. Maybe something else would have been better, but I think I'd have been tempted to call more heroic combats with, you know, if it was, a say, a Minas Tirith army and I had Faramir or whatever, I might have been more tempted to do more heroic stuff, when act- uh, combat-y stuff, when actually they were doing a, a solid job killing what they needed to kill, but also keeping everything else moving. They, 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 they did. They, they weren't disgraceful at all. Um, and because of the way they were deployed, they were always going to be... They weren't going to have the advantage of the manoeuvrability. Um, why they did so well, I think, was the fact that I simply couldn't win any priorities or any heroic move roll-offs. So they were getting the they were getting the dice of being on the charge and the lance bonus as well, mm-hmm. which was that's that's punishingly effective. I, I really rate lances on cavalry. They're, kind of like an automatic pick if they're an option for me yeah yeah no i think yeah that is true you didn't you didn't win your fair share of the the roll-offs <laughs> uh, that, that's that goes without saying uh, so but shelob now um shelob's one of these characters that a number of people um have sort of said is isn't very good in the long run you know that one attack is just not enough they say um yeah okay it's got a much of charge people also say oh i get worried about the survival instinct how did you think shelob fared um, it's the first time I've ever used Shelob. I mean, I tend to take armies that don't have a lot of monsters. So, uh, yeah, I thought Shelob was really great. For me, uh, I, I took Shelob partly for, you know, the slight sort of spidery theme, but also it was a, it was an easy way for me to get a high fight um, choice in an army that's lacking in, in high fight values. Yeah, and no uh, strike. Yeah. Very much. A very... You know, effective on the charge. I knew you were going to have cavalry. I assumed you'd have this door mounted. I thought monstrous charge, fight of seven, ticks a lot of boxes for me in this. Um, it's a shame she hasn't got any heroic moves or any might points, but yeah, very effective. Strength seven, re-rolling, failed to the wounds. Yeah, yeah, it was handy today, um, and, and I think probably worth the points value. A hundred percent. My most valuable player, I think. No, I agree. Shelob definitely got a money to if you you got the hurls in the right times, you got a, a bash, a, sorry, a barge, um, and all these things that just kept her moving and kept her being that that constant threat. That um, I just didn't. I was kind of feeding her one or two Numenorians early on, but once she broke through those two Numenor, uh, two or three Numenorians, um, yeah, it was it was hard to face. I, I think. A couple of maybe a couple more ter- uh, turns of of playing a sealed door would have gotten into her, put the ring on, and and hopefully sl- slashed her to death. Um, but yeah, you're right, you're hundred percent right. This is she was exactly what you needed in this army, and and I think it was a really great addition, and and not entirely unthematic either, considering she at least is in the Barador armor list. <laughs> so where where she stood now on the screen, I thought we finished on her, like the ending screen of the game. Um, she loves dead meat in the next turn, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was quite useful because I, I mean, I made use of the heroic move, hero, not the heroic moves, the brutal power attacks quite a lot, which was quite nice. It's nice to, you know, someone charges into you, you can barge out of the way and get some more moves off. Um, I knew, even if she was surrounded or outnumbered, I, I had probably a fairly good chance of Shelob staying alive. So, yeah, very much enjoyed using that character. You've enjoyed using Shelob, but we still haven't revealed uh, who the who the actual victor is in the end. Now, it was it was a I think it was a much tighter uh, game than the 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 score actually reveals. It was ended up nine four in favour of the Numenorians. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> 
and and I mean, do do you think that's that's reflective of what happened? Um, do you think it's a fair result in the end? Because obviously, you, you you did you've mentioned already that you did suffer with a, a, some of the dice. Uh, I mean, it is a dice rolling game. Um, all you're trying to do is kind of uh, skew the dice roll slightly towards you. I thought once the bulk of my orcs crushed or smashed into the Numenorians against the River Edge that that was going to be, you know, game over. But the Numenorians just would not die. And I think we both we both about broke at the same time. But I, I, yeah. as, as once I got Isildur off his horse and once those orcs started closing in, I really thought I'd got it. Um, but the way the victory points were meant that once you took my leader, who's, let's face it, he's an orc captain on a warg. He didn't even have a warg at the end. By the time you'd killed him, I knew there was no chance of me killing Isildur. Um, I had to get you quartered first. And the fact that they wouldn't die, I, as soon as I broke, I knew that uh, that I'd lost it. In fact, to be honest, I knew, you know, I assumed that I was going to break you first and then. I'd slowly get you towards the quarter before me. And once those Numenorans just stopped dying, I kind of knew which way it was going to go. Yeah, no, I, I, I can see that. And, and I think um, I, I, I played a cautious enough game on the left-hand side to, uh, of the, the field, the, the side that Isildur wasn't, to make it a, a, a tricky enough game for you, I think. But yeah, you really, you should have been killing a lot more of those Numenorans a lot earlier and breaking me earlier. And... I mean, I have got the courage that means that I should hang around a bit longer. But as, of course, it's a once you start killing those a few early ones, it starts spiraling out of control for me, which didn't really happen. It sort of happened the opposite way in, in the end. Um, yeah, I think I, may, the, I, I did wonder whether it was potentially a mistake to um, not have as much stuff on on the other side against a sealed door because I deployed a sealed door second, and you could have deployed Shelob against a sealed door. I wonder why you didn't do that. I think because Isildur would have chopped Shelob into small pieces. Uh, I had the weight of numbers. Um, I knew the game was going to end when someone was quartered. I was working on the idea that you would quarter easier than, than I would as long as I could gang up on the fights um, and keep it. I mean, I was always going to tarp it or feed Isildur to try and keep him out of trouble. Um, I, I don't. I mean, in the in the very last turn of the game, I did have a go getting Shelob into combat with Isildur, uh, just you know to see. You know, it was a little bit of fun at the end, I suppose, really. But I didn't. I, I very much lacked the sort of big hitting power hero to go hacking through things. I needed my guy, my basic grunts to do the work today. Um, yeah. It was. It wasn't. Let's face it. I mean, this wasn't exactly a sort of competition. Tweet. No, no, you're quite right. It was just something that looked quite fun and was slightly thematic. I, but I do think either of these lists. I mean, maybe if if you if we optimize them slightly. I mean, uh, yours in particular. If you just took uh, half of the uh, two hundred weapons, changed them to uh, spears. Half of the two hundred weapons, changed them to shields, um, and maybe left a few uh, two hundred weapons in. I think your list is pretty good. Um, it's certainly got a lot of stuff going on for it um, and it was great fun to play against which is crucial um, in these sorts of things so uh, Tim I, I really appreciate it uh, it's been great fun um, playing again over the interwebs and I, I think personally Tabletop Simulator definitely gets a thumbs up it's got to because it might be another three four five months so we may as well make the best of it and I think we're getting to grips with it quite well now absolutely thanks for playing with me Tim
Thanks again to Tim there for playing uh, Tabletop Simulator. I think it is probably the answer to uh, playing games of SBG online or uh, certainly in lockdown or at a distance. Uh, yeah, I think the webcam thing that um, Russell suggested is quite good, and I think maybe that would work better if you've got a you know you've got a group of friends who regularly play scenarios and things like that. That might be might work better for you guys, but for me, I think it's Tabletop Simulator. It's it, you, the visuals just look better, and um, you can see what you're doing, even if it is a bit fiddly. Times, I think it's the winner for me. Um, and playing with yourself is always fun. But you know, maybe maybe if you've got friends who you want to want to join in, I think the community sort of, um, I guess the camaraderie that you get from playing the game is is almost sometimes just as important. Although I can definitely see the value in it for for perhaps stress testing your own army lists and and working out how to improve your own skills. So uh, it was was a pleasure to uh, listen to and talk to everyone's ideas. Uh, So Tom, thank you very much. Russell, thank you very much. Uh, Tim and Sam, thanks very much for getting involved in the podcast, this uh, this lockdown edition as it returns again. Um, With that in mind, um, there's a few things that I want to deliver before the end of the show because, um, first of all, I I mentioned my hobby resolution last time will be delivering a podcast uh, more regularly or delivering content more regularly. Um, I've decided Tuesday is Entmoot Day. Not every Tuesday because that's just impossible to keep up with at this point. But I'm trying, I'm going to very much try to A, release Entmoots only on Tuesdays. So keep an eye out for Tuesdays. That will be when there's tournaments or not so tuesday is entmoot day so get your refresh the subscription every every uh, tuesday evening or well probably more like wednesday evening because i'll probably release them on tuesday evenings um and i will try to do two or so per month so not every week not even every fortnight maybe one at the start maybe one at the end that sort of thing but that's the aim that's the aim i did say i'd want to be more consistent especially for those patron supporters who are who are supporting me in order to help me create content so um i want to be a bit more consistent so that's one thing tick right that's one one bit of business addressed with the second bit is another hobby resolution i mentioned this um on the blog for the gbhl starting your own big hobby project that you weren't planning on doing at the start of this year if there's more lockdown that means there might be more time certainly less time going out having drinks uh, certainly less time going to the restaurants certainly less time going to the cinema certainly less time going and meeting other people uh, in other cities and stuff so that means more time painting even if uh, even if you're working um, through lockdown which i know many of you definitely are so i said I'm going to do a big lockdown project and I will reveal it soon. And today I am revealing this project. It's going to be very exciting, but I'm going to need your help. I really, really need your help on this one, actually, because what it is, is a 1000 points of ruffians challenge. Yes, that's right. I'm going to build an army of the worst models in the game. A, in terms of the the points cost and the the value that you get out of the, the, the points you spend on them but also B, in terms of the variety of poses. I mean, I think although there are 12 models in the currently available Ruffian set, um, multiples are duplicates, and some of them aren't just... Du- uh, they're sort of one is holding a bow, but the same pose is essentially the same guy with a club. So stuff like that. This is the this is the worst of the worst in terms of hobby stuff. I actually like the Ruffian models. I think they're really cool. But uh, in terms of painting 150, maybe not the best... So I'm very excited to announce the Ruffian Commission Painting Service. That's right. I'm going to offer you the chance to have your Ruffians that, let's be honest, are a bit rubbish, painted up for free 
That's right, for free. So apologies to all the commission painters out there because I'm taking the business away from you, essentially. Um, I will paint your ruffians for free and I will send you them back after I've used them. So um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to build a thousand point army, which, as I say, involves 150 or so models, some of which are hobbits um, from the uh, Sharky's Rogue army list led by Lotho or someone like that. Uh, and a few, there's a few ruffian heroes, but it's about 140 ruffians. Um, I'm going to build a thousand points and I'm going to take them to Throne of Skulls in December because I'm being optimistic. I know, uh, you know, what with the world at the moment, it's hard to know whether there's going to be a Throne of Skulls. It's hard to know whether there's ever going to be tournaments again. But, you know, the way things are going, it's looking positive for there definitely being a return to tournaments in the summer and maybe even uh, well into the uh, winter as well um, with vaccines completely rolled out by then. And I think you never know by... By summer, they may announce Throne of Skulls, and that may well be in its usual slot in December. So I'm going to take... I'm going to get... Well, I need to start getting ready, so I need to start getting my army ready to take there, and it's going to be Sharky's Rogues, 1,000 points of Ruffians, 150 or so models. But I'm not going to spend all my money on Ruffians just to have them sat in a cupboard after the one tournament. So I want you to get involved. It'd be great. Wouldn't it be amazing to have your Ruffians taken to Warhammer World, taken to glory, winning perhaps Throne of Schools, or or, or the very least being on Warhammer TV because uh, I I put a word in and there's a good chance, a small chance, that I'll be uh, on Warhammer TV um, grudging against someone who happens to have Hobbits or is planning to have a thousand points of hobbits we'll see if that works out but either way what i need you to do is um get in touch entmootpodcast at gmail.com if you have a spare box of ruffians or some kicking around in a box somewhere everyone's got a pile of shame everyone's hopeful that they would play the scouring of sh- the shire um, s- scenarios at some point and perhaps you thought oh, you were going to do that and then you decided oh, okay maybe maybe they'll move to the back of the queue now there's warren rohan or whatever it is Maybe you've got them. Maybe you have enough. Maybe you have some uh, metals that you just don't really think are ever going to get usage. Um, or you just decided to get a blister pack for fun once and never never decided to paint it. Well, I am, I'm going to save those from the obscurity. I'm going to help you clear that backlog. I'm going to get rid of them, paint them up really nicely, sort of, for you. And then you can have them back in your collection at the end of the year or in the early part of next year, depending on whether this actually happens or not. And I've already got three people on board. My patron supporters are absolutely amazing. I've got Nathan, Russell, who was mentioned in the podcast earlier. Uh, we spoke to him. And also Rowan, who have got in touch. I'm the patron supporter. I've released this to patrons first. And they've said, yes, you can have a box of ruffians, a box of ruffians, and another box of ruffians. It's amazing. Um, essentially, they've paid for them uh, to be delivered to my uh, local gaming store, Imps Gaming, which uh, is probably what I would recommend doing if you don't have ruffians and really want to get involved because you get a 10% discount. But if you do have ruffians, get in touch, entmootpodcast at gmail.com. It's amazing. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to paint them up in crazy styles. With Russell, he wants them to be football hooligans or football ruffians. Um, so I'm going to do them with England football shirts on and uh, like the, t- the grass, like stat- really staticky grass with white uh, paint on them for the lines and stuff like that. And, and uh, Rowan and Nathan are coming up with ideas as well. Maybe 60s psychedelia. Maybe you want to have goth ruffians with like uh, pale white faces and makeup or like kiss uh, makeup from uh, the band or anything. Anything. You, I want you to go wild with it. I want this to be an absolute hodgepodge of ruffians, mainly because I want it to look different and exciting. But I also want it to feel like it's yours. And I want you to see how well your ruffians do so that when, when I do play these games, 
I will know and I will sort of report on it um, as a fact that, you know, the the psychedelic ruffians uh, that X sent in or, or whatever, uh, they're going to be the ones that, that, you know, took this objective and won the game or whatever. I'd love you to be involved. I love the community idea of this. I, w- I want everyone to cheer us on. And, you know, in a time when perhaps uh, there's not a lot to look forward to, it could be great fun to build up some great momentum for something that may well be happening nearly 12 months away uh, or may not happen at all, but that we can get along with get along on and get together on and hopefully do something amazing so thanks very much for listening to another episode of Entmoot I, I really really hope you get involved in this it could be really awesome um, if you do this and obviously you, you know you're gaining a free painting service it's the Ruffian Commission Painting Service and it's going to be awesome thanks very much for listening get in touch entmootpodcast at gmail.com A if you have an answer to the riddle, riddles in the dark B, if you have a hobby resolution uh, or another query about the podcast. And C, especially if you want to depart with some ruffians and want them painted and getting involved in this project. You'll, of course, get big shout-outs every time they're used and every time we talk about this. So, um, with that in mind, thanks very much for listening to another Entmoot. We'll have another one on a Tuesday coming soon. But in the meantime, uh, you know, stay safe and all that sort of stuff. And boorah